It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to Golazo, the Mexican football podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm your host, Bryce Dunn. And joining me, as always, is Manu Vett. Manu, how are you and how's your week been? Yeah, it's been very busy with the Champions League, Europa League previews that we've done. Just also a couple of transfer stories over on Fußballstadt. I had a big story breaking, of course, with Stuttgart signing a big player. So that has kept me busy. And then... Um, Santos Laguna followed us today on Twitter, so that's pretty exciting. Bryce, you were a Santos Laguna star. They followed you as well, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, I know, a bit unexpectedly, eh? Uh, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm quite happy about that. I'll, uh, no doubt be sending them gifts on Twitter over the weekends, because that's what I do best. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> but, uh, joining both of us, uh, back once again is Javier. Um, Javier, it's, it's, it's great to have you back. You've been a wa- away for a while and we've missed you. <laughs> Thank you. I've missed you too. Um, I've also missed like being part of such a interesting panel. Um, I was in Ecuador for some vacations. Now I'm recharged and good to go. Uh, I had kind of like a tough weekend because I kind of hosted an event for the soccer club I work for. And I've watched like several uh, dozens of youth games. So now um, I'm ready to discuss some professional football. (laughs) Nice one. Well, I'm glad to hear that you've recharged the batteries. And it's good to hear that you've enjoyed uh, the youth football, but now want the real deal. Um, Joining us, uh, we're we're very proud to have another guest uh, with us uh, here. Uh, One of the Liga MX uh, family online is the fantastic Tom Marshall. Thanks very much for coming on, Tom. And uh, I suppose, would you like to explain uh, to our listeners um, what exactly you do? Um, I mean, we all follow you on Twitter and so should everyone else. But uh, explain to them who you work for and, and, and what you write about. Yeah. Hi, everyone. Thanks. First of all, thanks a lot for the uh, for the invite, for having me on. Um, yeah, I work for ESPN FC and I basically cover Liga MX and the Mexican national team, uh, mainly in English. Um, yeah, for ESPN. So yeah, just covering the league, based here in Guadalajara, um, and and travel around with the national team, obviously in the build up to the to the World Cup next summer. Yeah, fantastic, and we always enjoy uh, your vlogs online uh, as uh, with your articles. But um, originally, Tom, you explained to us yeah you didn't go out to Mexico to cover football. No, I originally came here to work in a newspaper, a local, a small, really small. Um, English language newspaper based in, in Guadalajara. And then, you know, from there, basically, you know, I'm from near Manchester. So, um, you know, you just grow up and it's so obviously you just love football. I mean, it's what, it's what you do. So I just started going to games, writing about, writing about Mexican football in English. And, you know, it kind of coincided with when, uh, Javier Hernandez went to Manchester United. And then all of a sudden, there was a lot of interest in him. And I was here in Guadalajara. And, you know, I knew him. Well, I knew I'd watched him play. And don't know. I went, I went around to his house, interviewed his family, and then kind of things just kind of clicked from there, really. And you know, I've been writing about Mexican football ever since. Wow, that's amazing! You got to go to his, his house and interview his family. Incredible. Uh, uh, Tom, may I ask um, just before we get underway, what was the first game that you went to see? I mean, who who was it between? Do you remember it well? I can't. I can't remember. I think it might have been um, Chivas, Puebla, or something um, when they were playing in the Stadio Jalisco. Um, but yeah, no. I mean, it kind of all blurs together. <laughs> I remember going to uh, the. I mean, the games that are really good to go to here in Guadalajara is obviously the Clásico, and especially when it's in the Estadio Jalisco. Um, 
Atlas Chivas, not the not the Clásico Nacional. Like the Atlas Chivas rivalry, I don't know. That really, I don't know. If you're from a city with two teams, and you know a city that's divided, then you just instantly get you know what Chivas against Atlas is. Um, and I think yeah, I mean that was I don't know. That's <laughs> that's how you just slowly get into it. You know what I mean? Oh, fantastic. And yeah, uh, I'm sure uh, any listeners, um, well, obviously we advise they should uh, follow you online, but you'll come to know that, um, yes, uh, Tom goes to quite a few games. Uh, but uh, guys, let's get underway. Uh, we kind of finished off uh, last week. Uh, we, we had uh, Cesar on last week. Fantastic guest as, as well. We covered uh, an awful lot of ground, but we didn't quite um, get to touch on Chucky Lozano as much as we had hoped. He had just had his uh, debut at that stage. Um, against uh, AZ Alkmaar, who's obviously playing for PSV, and he managed to get uh, a goal in that one, and also probably should have scored two on two other occasions, but uh, came away with man of the match. Um, since then, he's he's played um, again and scored again. I mean, uh, this, this is a this is a fantastic start for him, um, and you know he's he's only twenty two, and you know I, I think this is. Um, this is going to be a hell of a learning curve, isn't it, for him, Tom? He's he's hopefully going to learn a lot, PSV, and I suppose I would imagine he he would probably like to then go a step further after his PSV uh, stepping stone, will we say? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the that's obviously the idea. I think of going to a club like like PSV. Uh, we know the history of the players that have gone have gone through there, including the likes of Ronaldo and stuff. So you know, it's pretty um, pretty impressive. Um, but I think the big thing for me about Lozano, obviously he scored the goals. I think it's just been so important that he started well. Um, not just from the, the kind of confidence point of view, but I, I, I had big doubts about kind of off the field if he would settle very well. He's 22 years old, but he's already got a couple of kids. He's already married with a couple of kids. I don't know, but if you speak to him, if you listen to him in press comments, he, he, he doesn't have much to say. He's not like... I don't know, he's not one of these brilliant, bright, you know, young footballers. He's kind of just, he just loves playing football. That's what he does. And so I just thought he might have some problems going over there to, to a different country, um, different language. I don't think he speaks English. Um, and I thought he might struggle. But, you know, the fact that he scored a couple of goals in the first couple of weeks is, is absolutely great for him. You know, a real, a real boost of confidence as he, you know, embarks on what is a, is a huge challenge for him. I mean, it's he was the star at Pachuca. Everybody knew him. He was very settled there at the club. He'd been there for so many years. And to suddenly go over to Europe, um, I just think it's really important that early on in his time at PSV, you know, he laid down a marker and said, this is what I can do. Yeah, indeed. Um, I mean, uh, Javi, what, what all would you remember from uh, Chucky when he played in uh, likes of Liga MX? Uh, and, and he had for that you know, Pachuca side. I mean, what, what do you think he's going to produce hopefully, uh, for PSV. So he has always had this, like, explosive talent, right? So, like Tom said, I think that he's making the right decision in regards of the process of his career, right? Because going to PSV, it's a, going to the Dutch League in general, it's a good stepping stone to develop your talent and finishing, enhancing your skills to get ready for the next move. Uh, I wasn't aware of his family situation. Now I know, but uh, but at 22, it, it it could end up being the right age for him to play and develop talent for a few years, and then take that next step to a bigger league, right? And considering the the transition year that PSV is taking, in which they look like they will end up depending more on goal scores than less goals conceded than in the years before, Chucky Lozano might be benefiting from that transition. So, I think that we're looking at a very good season for him this year. At least it started very promising. Yeah, most certainly. Um, Manu, uh, well, we've seen uh, different um, Mexicans go uh, abroad uh, previously, uh, likes of uh, Marco Fabian, um, who you know, we've spoke about many a time since uh, Antrek Frankfurt. You know, uh, and just what a great talent he is, and almost uh, Frankfurt almost rely on him to to a degree, uh, uh, but. I mean, some Mexicans have, have kind of went abroad and, and struggled a little bit. Um, uh, wh- why do you think that is? 
Yeah, actually, that would be a, a good one to answer for, for Tom, because he just, I, I briefly glimpsed at his article on the, the Mexicans at uh, Porto, you know, which hasn't really quite proved to be that stepping stone that uh, many hoped. Uh, Portuguese football, of course, for South Americans in particular, Brazilians in particular, was always a huge stepping stone to a bigger league, and it hasn't really quite happened. Uh, in that, in the same way for, for the Mexicans that are playing there. I think that Eindhoven is a, is a better place, um, for him because, you know, uh, Dutch football will teach him maybe more about the way you play, especially in Central Europe where the money is, um, because it's, it's faster, it's more physical. And, um, I think it also suits players better coming from, from Mexico. Um, to Europe, the style of football is more similar to Liga MX. Um, of course, Eindhoven has some issues. They're already out of the Europa League, which is unfortunate. And, um, they're rebuilding right now, but, you know, that's maybe not a bad setup to step in because the expectations are not huge right now in Eindhoven. So, you know, he, he, you can, you can build on that. But, uh, I, I think, you know, maybe I'll hand it over to Tom because Tom, you wrote that article on, uh, Porto. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, you know, it's a, a massive question. I think that but I'll tell you a story about Carlos, Carlos Salcido when he, when he went to Holland for the first time. Um, he st- he went to PSV. He started terribly. He could, he, he would, he just couldn't, he couldn't recapture his form that he'd shown in the World Cup and that he'd shown at Chivas. And he tells a story, Carlos Salcido, years later, how he, he didn't know how to order food. Like he didn't understand. He didn't know. Obviously, it, in terms of Dutch, you know, a Mexican's not going to go no Dutch, but he didn't speak any English either, and he and he really struggled. I think that he went on his own, and he ended up eating KFC every day. <laughs> <laughs> and he went to KFC, and he would he would order the number one or the number two. And he tells this story about how, how he that's how his first days in Eindhoven, where he didn't understand anything. You know that that's how he that's how he got through, and that's why he was you know one of the reasons he was so bad. He was just so far away. Um, so yeah, there is there is that tradition. Um, it's called the Jaime Con syndrome, and it goes back to I think the nineteen fifties, nineteen sixties, where there's a player called Jaime Con, who a Mexican player who went to play um, for the national team in Europe, and he just he just hated it. He couldn't he couldn't deal with with not eating Mexican food. He couldn't deal with being away from from his family and stuff like that. So there's actually it's called the Jaime Con syndrome. In Mexican football, this player who went over there um, could have just just hated it so much and came back. Now I think I think that's that, that's kind of going back a few years. I, I think that's changed now radically because I think as Liga MX teams have you know invested more in youth systems, I think the FMF as well have pumped a lot of money into into producing players. Um, you know the, the Mexican national team are, are always playing tournaments in China. You know, Asia, all in Europe, all all around the world. So I think I think players coming through now, Mexican players coming through now are much more rounded and, and much more kind of ready to go to Europe and settle. And I think partly we're seeing that with Lozano. I know it's early days, but we're, we're kind of seeing that. But yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's a difficult one. I mean, th- there's things that don't help. I mean, I think that, um, for example, the way that the the Mexican national team plays so many tournaments. Every summer, I don't think it helps players settle in Europe because if you look at the Portuguese contingent right now, you know Raúl Jiménez isn't isn't starting for Benfica. He wasn't there in the preseason, um, and 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 he, you know he's lost out on that starting spot. The same with the with the players at, at Porto. They weren't there from the start of this preseason, and they've and they've since struggled to get in the team apart from Tecatito Corona, who was in the preseason because he missed the Confederations Cup. But I think another reason is that if you look at Argentina or Brazil, just using two examples, or even Colombia, they're sending so many players abroad right now that naturally some are going to make it and some aren't going to make it. I'm not. I'm not. I'm, I mean, it's something that would be really interesting to study. But I'm not so sure that it's it's like Mexicans aren't making it. I just think that players, especially from Latin America, going over to Europe, some of them will make it and some of them won't make it. You know, obviously you got to make the right decision in terms of club and. Yeah, you've got to obviously develop, but I, I'm not. I'm not sure right as of today that it's a, a kind of Mexican problem. I just think the Mexican Mexico sends so few players compared to say Argentina, if you know what I mean. I mean, I just I think there's a, a difference in volume of players going over. 
don't know if that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, I remember when we had the first Mexicans come to Germany and they were very exotic and in a way, even though, you yeah. know, there's such a massive football country and until the late nineties, they wouldn't go abroad, you know, or not often go abroad. And Marcus kind of changed that a little bit. But I remember when Stuttgart brought in Pavel Pardo and uh, Ricardo Osorio, and they were a huge success there, and they won the German Championship with Stuttgart. And I, I think that that changed the attitude quite a bit, at least in Germany. You know, nowadays it's it's quite common that German teams would go to Mexico and bring in Mexican players, and it has worked out for the most part. But I think yeah. there is um, there is still a kind of weird conception that you don't really go to Liga MX, and I think some of it is the fact that Liga MX teams have a lot of money. So it's more expensive to bring in a player. I know that Marco Fabian, Eintracht Frankfurt was interested in him for two years, but yeah. it was not until he, that exit clause uh, hit that they were actually <laughs> able to bring him in, right? Because then he was really cheap. All of a sudden, he I think they only paid 4.5 million euros for him, which is nothing when you consider the, the market today. But yeah. a year before that, um, Chivas was asking for 20 million. Right. So yeah. I think there is something about that, that Liga MX teams, they have a lot of money. So they ask for a lot of money for their biggest stars. And I think that's that's a big obstacle. So you don't have that flood of Mexican players going abroad. And Argentina and Brazil, the economy is is very bad right now. So, you know, clubs have to survive in order to, in order to survive. They have to sell players. So you, you, that's maybe the big difference. Yeah. And I think just to add to that, I think. I mean, there's no way of measuring it, but if you look at, you know, say the Porto players, well, the, the Mexican players based in Portugal, Herrera, Laun, Corona, Reyes, Jimenez, every one of those players, if they don't make it in Portugal, in, in Portugal or in Europe, anywhere, they, they, they'll come back to Liga MX and they'll get paid a lot of money. Mm. You know, there's a quote from Andres Guardado from when he was at Valencia saying that he could have made more money in Mexico than by playing for Valencia. And that was when Valencia were, when, weren't as bad. Um, you know, and, and I think that, I mean, you can, there's no way of measuring, but it's that, that drive, you know, where an Argentine player, if, you, if an Argentine player fails at Benfica, I'm not saying he's going to like be poor and living on the street or whatever, but for an Argentine player not to do it at Benfica or a Portuguese club and to go back to Argentina from there, then they're not going to make loads of money. You know, they might have a decent career and stuff, but a Mexican player can still go back to Mexico and increasingly MLS because MLS would be interested in all those players that I just mentioned. Um, and, and they can, they can, they'll, they'll be absolutely fine. But yeah, just another quick point. Obviously the, the price of the, the Mexican player, you know, it's another major factor. I think if you speak to young players here in Mexico, the, the all say, I want to play in Europe. My dreams to play in Europe, you know, Jurgen Dam, the mm. Tigres winger, so many years. You know, I've, I've known him. I've known him for quite a few years now, since since he went on trial at Manchester United. And every time, every time I see him or speak to him, he's like, "Yeah, I want to go to Europe. There's offers there, but it all depends on Tigres accepting." But what happens in Mexico because of the Pacto de Caballeros, the the gentleman's pact? There's no bosman, so there's no kind of freedom of contract. So, for example. Obviously, I mean, you know, everybody knows this, but if, if a player in Europe has got one year left on his contract, then gradually the, the asking price will go down because obviously the player could go for free if he sees out the contract. Whereas in Mexico, that doesn't happen. So it's like a bubble. It's like artificially inflated prices mm. for Mexican players. Um, and I think that, you know, that stops someone like Damu for me is stagnated right now. I mean, he's not, he's not starting for Tigres. I'm not saying he's an absolutely amazing player, but he's the type of player that, if he would have gone to Europe two years ago and gone to a good a good club with a good manager who can you know who can who can develop him, he's got the raw raw material to be a very very good player. Whereas at Tigres is you know Tuca Ferretti is a good manager, but he's old school, no doubt about it. You know he's from a different generation and and he's he's just stagnated the last few years. So I think that you know that's just another factor the fact you know, the fact that. The, the prices for Mexican players are, you know, artificially inflated. I mean, there's no way, you know, that the prices for 20 million for Marco Fabian. And I think that, you know, teams in Europe will be looking at Herrera, you know, looking at Raul Jimenez, I don't know, and, and Miguel Layun and thinking, and they'll be thinking, well, why are we going to pay so much money for these players? 
Um, you know, when in Argentina or Colombia or Ecuador, you can go and get and get cheaper cheaper players basically and take a risk. And maybe you buy three for the price of one Mexican, and one or two of them comes off. I don't know. So, so Tom, if if we look at the Liga MX players uh, that we have at the moment, are there many of them that you would tip to make a move to uh, Europe and and should and are, are ready for it? Um, of the players that are ready, I mean, obviously it depends what level. I mean, I think this is another issue. It's it's increasingly difficult because of the prices for a Mexican player to, to go to kind of a middle club. I mean, if you look how much Porto played for, like, Herrera, for example, or PSV paid for um, Lozano, I mean, it's almost like it's, it's, it's increasingly difficult for those clubs to buy Mexican players because it's almost like you have to go to a really, really big club. Um, I don't know if that makes that makes sense, but um, right now the players that are ready, um, you know, I'd love to see Obelin Pineda go, I'd love to see Pizarro go. I mean, I'm not going to lie, I was disappointed with how they played at the Gold Cup. Um, and I think, you know, Pizarro showed flashes this season, but I don't know, I want to see more consistency. And, and then with Pineda, I don't I don't think he's playing particularly well right now. But yeah, I think there are quite a few players that that could, could do well in Europe. But it's again, it's the same thing. They've got to go there. It's a whole different world. And, and you have to take that risk of doing it. And, and maybe you have one or two not so good seasons, but you establish yourself and you work hard and, and in some ways you suffer, you know, and, and, and that's how you that's how you're eventually gonna go to a, a top top club with, with real experience playing up playing over there. Yeah indeed. Um, I, I mean Javi, we're gonna gonna go to you a little bit about um, a new addition uh, to Liga MX and, and that's obviously uh, we've spoken about players going outward but players coming inward um, we've got Atrubes coming in from uh, Roma to uh, Cholos um, uh, well, what can you tell us about him obviously you know a bit more about Saria because he's, he's coming all the way from uh, Roma uh, I mean is, is this a good signing for them? Okay let's start with his qualities so Juan Manuel Iturbe is a stereotypical right winger that is Left-footed, has a fantastic left foot, right? So he is a dribbler. He's extremely fast. He plays be the best when he plays off a target man, right? That's that's part of the reason why his best season was at the end of 2014 when he played uh, next to Luca Toni, who, who actually was on fire through that season. Um, so why? Because he's, he's great at transition offense, right? Uh, taking advantage of, of his speed, taking on players, finding his spot to shoot. Now, the reason why he might not be great in every place he in everywhere he played because he he was great in in Hellas Verona. He and then that when he reached that peak value at the end of 2014, he had several top teams beating for him, right? So in like including including the like Juventus, they had some teams in, in, in England like Tottenham that tried to actually get his services, right? But Roma paid 22.5 millions to get him. And then his value started declining. Why? Because he couldn't find a way to succeed in Rudy, Rudy Garcia's style, which doesn't include a target man, include a false nine. And when the defense is set, Juan Manuel Turbe struggles to actually find his way or his way to, to produce the best, right? Because among his flaws is his decision-making. What do I mean? Is that it, when you see Iturbe play, it kind of looks like he makes up his mind where he's passing or shooting way before he has to, right? Like, for example, when he's leading a fast break, it's like he already decided when he got the ball in the in like in the midfield if at the end of this fast break he was going to shoot or look for a uh, for a for a teammate. So he needs to improve that. Like fortunately for him, he's just 24, so he can still revive his career in Mexico, right? I understand that part of the reason why he decided to go to Mexico is that he's still hoping that Paraguay gets to the World Cup and he's included in that national roster, right? So. Among his qualities as well is that he has a weak right foot, uh, which he doesn't use a lot, and he's not a great defender. What do I mean is that he's not great at high pressuring, 
he's a very energetic packer, but not the best at it. So I think it's a, it's, it's a good move for both of them because as we know, Cholos, it's going through a difficult beginning of the season. They're struggling with finding a new identity with the team. And, and now they're going to have to, uh, replace Paul Ariola, right? So Juan Manuel Iturbe might be great for that role. Might be a key part in finding a new identity for the team and having just like that icon or that, um, in case when they actually struggling throughout a game. Yeah, I mean, uh, Tom, if, if we look at Trube coming in uh, from like Sarria to Liga MX, that that obviously says a lot about the league, doesn't it? it? It's good that they're able to capture players like that, you know, bring them in. I mean, we've obviously seen, you know, the likes of Geniac and, uh, and, and um, well, Vargas and ma- many of other players uh, come across the water uh, and join the league, you know, after they've been in Europe. And it's, it seems like, it, it's becoming quite a pool, Liga MX. I mean, sure, surely financially, but it's also it's a very popular and a, a very fascinating league. Yeah, I mean, you can make the argument. It's it's almost becoming a bit like you know a, a Latin American Premier League in terms mm-hmm. of the amount of talent from you know. I think in the last Chile squad there were seven seven players based in Mexico, which is you know which is a lot. Uh, some you know players from Ecuador, Colombia. You know, even a couple of Argentines, I know Guido Pizarro's gone, but, um, you know, a couple of Argentines, they're pushing, pushing even for their squad. So, so yeah, I think it's, I think it's good. I think it's, I think it's a bit of a balance, really. Obviously, the money on offer is good, but it's also a kind of serious, serious league. So it's not kind of, obviously, I'm not saying it's a, an elite league, but it's not a kind of China where they're throwing absolute loads of money at it, but the, but the level's terrible. You know, I think it's a, it's kind of a, um, but yeah, I think that Iturbe, I think he, I think the thing about him is he, he needs to do it. He's desperate. He has to do it with Cholos. If it doesn't work out for Iturbe with Cholos, where does he go? And I think, I think he, as, as a person, as a player, he has to be desperate to make this work out. Um, and I think that's, that's obviously good for Cholos. Um, some rumors about Mila Bolaños is at Gremio right now, the Ecuadorian forward. You know, I think if, 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 um, Cholos can get Bolaños as well. All of a sudden, they look they look pretty strong going forward. You know, with Gustavo Bo, uh, Bolaños, and and uh, Iturbe, I think they're looking they're looking pretty good. I mean, you know, it looks like they've they've invested the money from from Aviles Hurtado, uh, from the sale of Hurtado, the sale of um, Guido Rodriguez, and you know they're looking they're coming together. And I mean, I think Kudet is a, is a good good manager. I just think he needs to be given time. I think Cholos will be. I think they'll be all right, Cholos, and I think Iturbe is a, you know, he's a, a decent sign. It's going to be, it's going to be fascinating to see how it works out for him. Well, in regards of Iturbe, like if he happens to fail at Cholos, which I surely hope he doesn't, he also ex- expresses desire to play at River Plate again at some point. So that might be his next plan in, in case this doesn't work out. Yeah, yeah, but um, yeah, I mean, he's going, he's almost retracing his steps back. To, to, after that, it'll be Cerro Porteño. Manu, I, I suppose um, th- this is also seen as good news as um, three of the El Trey players uh, decided to go to MLS uh, recently. Um, the, the most uh, recent being Carlos Vela is going to join uh, well, LAFC that we reported uh, just a, a few weeks back. Yeah, MLS was pretty coy about the fact that they got those three Mexican national team players, you know, the, the Dos Santos brothers, of course, and, um, Carlos Vela. And, uh, you know, we know the rivalry between the United States and, uh, and Mexico. And, uh, they, there was a lot of gifts and tweets and how, you know, MLS is just able to financially outmuscle Liga MX and get these stars. And I, I think, um, Liga MX needed something like this. I know Iturbe is not a superstar, but he is, he has a lot of potential and he's a name and he's only 24. That's the thing too that we have to remember. He's, he's very young and he can still offer a lot. And I think it, it just kind of shows, you know, that while MLS can attract uh, certain players that, um, towards the back end of their, of their career. Uh, Liga MX actually can bring in, especially when the Latin American players, and there's, there's countless other examples from South America, 
players from South America that have gone to Liga MX and would not necessarily go to MLS unless it's, of course, Atlanta United. They, I, I accept them a little bit, but I think this is, this is actually almost a bit of an answer to what happened, to, you know, with the, with the Mexican signing there. And I expect that maybe Tom, maybe you know a bit more because there was all sorts of rumors over the summer. And of course, the transfer window is still open, but I expect this will not be the last international player coming to Liga MX this summer. No, I mean, I think, you know, uh, obviously Tigres, um, Carioca, the central midfielder, I think is, is close to signing. I think they're in the market for another player. Obviously, Cholos, I think they're, they're going to get, it looks like they're going to get Bolaños um, from, from the reports that I've been reading. So, yeah, I mean, the Mex- the Mexican market is is strong. I mean, I, I think I was looking the other day, I think it's about around 15 signings from Europe. Hmm. Um and, and obviously you've got the the big one really that that we haven't mentioned yet is Honda from um yeah. you know I mean that that's that's genuinely you know somebody who's you know on the world map um you know the, the star of Japanese football you know and, and bringing really a, a whole new market to Liga MX I mean nobody in Asia really watches Liga MX but all of a sudden you know Japanese are definitely going to be tuning in I think there was sixty Japanese journalists. <laughs> uh, um, Honda's presentation in Pachuca, and Pachuca's a small, a small town, you know, outside Mexico City. So, um, so yeah, I, I think these these things are really good for the league, bringing in players from from different countries, um, especially especially when the when the real quality. I think historically, the uh, the criticism from from the Mexican press has been that the quality of a foreign player that has been coming to Mexico. It's been like, why are we, why are we giving a platform for players that aren't, you know, they're not, they're not good enough. They're not, but why we should, we should encourage, you know, teams to play Mexican players. But, you know, it's difficult to make that argument. It's more difficult from a club point of view, setting the, the national team aside when you've got Iturbe turning up. You know what I mean? And you've got Gustavo Bo turning up at Cholos and you've got Guido Rodriguez turning up at, at Tijuana and now America and Guido Pizarro. You know, it's, it's more difficult to say, let's throw a youth team. And you're getting that quality player, um, and I think for the league, it's it's very positive. Well, Marcelo Diaz, we forgot him as well. He just signed yeah, Pumas, definitely. and that's a that's a quality signing. He, he single-handedly uh, saved Hamburg from relegation a few years ago. He's a real, real character signing. Something that they really needed in that squad, and you know the sort of player that could have easily stayed in Europe. And it's not just about talent, it's about character. Marcelo yeah. Diaz is quite a leader in the Chilean national team, so he's going to be great for them. And Tom, may I just uh, quickly go to you. Uh, who do you see being uh, the biggest signing of uh, of the Liga MX uh, preseason? Who's, who's the one do you think we should uh, keep our eye open for before we talk about um, this week's uh, this week's matches? Um, it's a difficult one. There's, there's quite a few to go at, but um, I mean, I really liked uh, Gustavo Bo at the at Cholos last week. I mean, I know he's got a massive job to to fill the hole, but Hurtado left and Caraglio left. You know, kind of in the forward in the in the Tijuana forward line. But I mean, he looked so confident last week, and you know, he scored two and two now, and I don't know, he just looked completely set up to score a lot of goals in this league. So I'd go for I'd go for him in terms of you know players coming into the league. Honda, I think. It's going to take time. He's coming back from injury. The rest of the players are now, you know, we're in week six, week seven coming up. Um, so I think it's going to be difficult for him to adjust really quickly. Um, and then um, who else we got for the big names? Yeah, I think Marcelo Diaz is going to have absolutely no problem. I mean, the kind of his style of play is just going to fit perfectly um, to, to Pumas and, and the league in general. Um, so, yeah, I think that... Um, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd go for Bow, the the T one striker. Ah, brilliant stuff. Plenty of players to look out for by the signs of it, and yeah, very exciting times for uh, Mexican football, may I just say. But uh, one side that um, things have been uh, well not going as planned uh, this uh, campaign um, is champions uh, Chivas Um, and Tom I I feel we're going to have to go to you on on this one I just asked what exactly is going on I mean it's it's you know they're done in 18 after five games you know only scored four drew three and and lost two I mean it's it's been a pretty poor start for Almeida and his man yeah definitely I mean it's I think going into the season you know 
I didn't think. I thought you know, I myself, I didn't think they'd do as well as last season. I thought they might struggle a bit. Um, first of all, Alan Polido's injured. You know, that's that's such a massive blow. Um, he really pinned together the the kind of forward line for Chivas last season, especially late on as they were you know gaining momentum towards the towards the towards the the championship. I think that obviously having the Gold Cup players away, you know, Rodolfo Pizarro, Ovelin Pineda, Jai Pereira. Um, Edgardo Marin. I think it disrupted the, the preseason a lot, um, and obviously not having the full squad together as as you're preparing for the season is is not easy for any for any manager. Um, and I think that they've they've not gone out and signed anyone. And in fact, they've got they've got the weaker than before because they've got rid of you know Miguel Ponce. All right, he didn't play many games, but you you've got a left back there who can slot in, and he played in the cup games. And Nestor Calderon, who started the final. So you've, you've lost a couple of players that were really kind of experienced in Liga MX play and, and and you know, were, were around the squad of challenging other players for, for minutes. And I think there's a kind of, there's a bit of a lack of competition right now. I know Almeida's got this plan to kind of, he wants to, to promote the youth products and, you know, it's very respectable what he's trying to do. But it's also very difficult to do that and to challenge for a title again. So I think that's the, that's the balance right now. But I think what's happened in the last couple of weeks is players have lost confidence. I mean, they've had the first the first few games; it's not they've not gone to plan. And I think now they've they've lost confidence. I mean, Carlos Fierro again; he just looks he just I don't know he's he's not playing well at all in any way. Um, you know, and and even Pizarro, like I said, you know, I think he's shown flashes, but I don't know. You, you I want Pizarro now. Uh, what is he? Twenty-three years old. Uh, you know, with the experience he's got, international level, with winning the title, with already making a big move from Pachuca to Chivas. You know, I think now is his time. He needs to be dictating these games so that he can earn that move to Europe, which he says he wants. Um, I think the same with Obelin Pineda. You know, he's a little bit younger, but I think we need to be. I don't know. I think we need to be putting <laughs> putting a bit of pressure. We want to see more from these players now. We want to see them take the next step up. And I don't think we've seen that this season from Pineda and Pizarro. And, and those are the guys who, at this point, for me, should be now kind of running this Chivas team. Um, but, yeah, I think it's, it's general, uh, you know, dropping confidence overall. And obviously a couple of, you know, they've had a couple of unlucky refereeing decisions. But, you know, I mean, they've not played well. So it's hard to say that they, you know, they should have beat Puebla last weekend. I mean, they were very poor Chivas. And all right, the refereeing decisions went against them. But, you know, that doesn't kind of divert from the fact that they weren't very good at all. And Tom, do you see uh, Almeida possibly coming under any pressure this uh, this campaign or, or possibly if the, if, if the you know, Clotero was to start poorly, you know, that they'd possibly be asking for his head? No, I, I, don't, I don't think so. Um, I think the fans absolutely love Almeida here in, in Guadalajara. I mean, obviously he's brought them the championship after 10 years. so And he's taken them from relegation to... To, to the league title, so I think I think fans will be will be patient. Um, I'm not sure the relationship between Almeida and you know Iguera, the kind of the general manager of the club. Um, you know, I mean Jorge Vergara can be really volatile as well, the owner. So there are some question marks about how that that kind of relationship between those three key figures in the club. But I don't think there's a sense that you know that that, that Almeida will be let go. I think that if I think probably the opposite. I think if Almeida becomes unhappy with with how the club being run and how things are going, and and if there aren't new signings, you know, at the at the next transfer window, then Almeida's a known name in Europe. You know, he's he's already managed River Plate, Banfield. He's come to Chivas and resurrected the club. There's going to be European teams interested. There's going to be teams. Um, I think Alaves was already already made an offer to him. Um, there's going to be teams in Italy, there's going to be teams in Spain that are interested in, in taking Matias Almeida. And I think that's the, that for me, that's the worry for Chivas, not that not they'll be fired, that someone will come in and, and poach him. Um, because obviously, at some point, he's going to want to manage in Europe. And Javier, if, if we just look at next week's uh, match uh, up between uh, Chivas and Santos, there's two sides, you know, at the foot of the table, you know, both sides failed to get... Um, your win on the board so far. Which side do you see coming out on top? Do you, do you see Chivas finally getting back to winning ways? I don't. I don't feel that Chivas can actually go keep losing and losing. So yeah, I'll definitely give the 
give the the benefit of the doubt to Chivas in these weeks, even though that's not the game that I'm the most interested in this this week. Then yes, I will I will I will still lean on Chivas to win this week. Yeah, good call, and I, I would imagine Manu, you're probably going to agree with that as well. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> it's you know you're looking at the midweek games first, right? So. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm I'm done doing predictions on this league price. I've learned that the hard way. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I would right. imagine. <laughs> don't worry, I'm still going to ask for them. Tom, how do you feel about predictions in, in, in League MX? Uh, the difficult. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we've discovered that as well, I think. Yeah. Every time you mention a club, the next week they, they seem to uh, go the opposite direction. But... Um, I, 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 Another side we'd like to speak to you about is um, Atlas. And obviously last week we touched um, when Cesar was on the pods um, about uh, Rafa Marquez and, and how that's kind of affecting the club. Um, I mean, it's, I, I don't think we need to go into it too much, but it, it definitely seems to be having a bit of a, a knock-on effect there, doesn't it? I mean, Marquez was um, one of their star performers at um, the start of the season and uh, all looked quite rosy, but... Things have turned a little sour, haven't they? Just uh, for the for the club on the pitch as well. Yeah, I mean, I think the you know obviously what happened with Rafa Marquez. I mean, you have to put it in the into the context that this is the biggest player the club's ever produced. You know, in the all time list of Mexican players, you know, definitely top three. Um, and and for this to happen, I don't know. I just think it naturally rocks a whole an institution like Atlas because he's such a overpowering figure in the club. I mean, he just he has so much power. He does what what he wants. You know. Um, so for this to happen is is huge, but yeah, I mean, obviously you take Rafa Marquez out, but let's not forget last season when they when they got to the Liguilla, it was without Rafa Marquez, so it's not like they they can't cope without him. Um, but obviously Leighton Jimenez is out injured. Um, then you've got you know Clifford, uh, big Cliff as I call him. Uh, Clifford's out now, injured for the for pretty much the rest of the season, um, and and. You know, Caraglio, I think he's out for a bit of time. So they've got serious injuries now as well. And I think everything's building up and everything from the first couple of weeks in the season where there was a real sense that, you know, I never thought Atlas is gonna, was one of the best teams in the league by, by no, by no means. But I thought they had a, a nice little team, a really honest, hardworking team that could, that could grind out results that could, you know, with, um, Alostisa and Caraglio could could grind out some some decent results this season and you know be challenging for the Liguilla places. But I think now over the last couple of weeks, the whole kind of conversation surrounding Atlas has has completely been turned on its head. And now the the stat that everybody's reeling off is that Atlas are one point ahead of Veracruz at the you know in the penultimate place in the relegation table. So now all Atlas's focus has to be on somehow picking up Picking up results and and moving away from the from the relegation table, I and mean, that I think that starts with with obviously Lobos Wap. I'll be I'll be at the game, um, and that's a it's a really big game now for Atlas. I mean because Lobos Wap have lost a couple of, the last couple of games, and Atlas need to need to need to be picking up results now in Stadio Jalisco, not not to get in the playoffs, but to to avoid relegation. Because I mean Atlas is one of the most historic clubs in the Mexican game, and it would be an absolute disaster. For them to for them to go down. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you about that, Tom. What's the feeling like in Guadalajara about the, the Rafa Marquez situation? I know it's a very sensitive topic. Anytime yeah. you talk about narcotics in in Mexico and you know the involvement of drug money in football, it's always a very sensitive topic. But how is it viewed? I'm I'm just curious about the general feeling. Yeah, I think most people are sympathetic towards him. I think most people are kind of well, we've got a at least give him a a fair say and let him let him kind of prove himself innocent. Um, I think the kind of nationalism feeds into that because it's the U.S. government mm. that are coming out and saying, you know, Rafa Rafa Marquez has been, been involved in all these kind of things. I think that from a Mexican point of view, I don't know. I mean, it's it's like no, you know, there's obviously the massive Mexico-U.S. rivalry, and and I think people are, are kind of obviously going to side with Rafa Marquez. You know, one of the most historic plays in the Mexican game over a study that the U.S. government have done. Whether that's you know the right way to look at it isn't you know it's not <laughs> not for me to say, but uh, I definitely think that's the that's the that's what people are saying here, here in Guadalajara. 
Yeah, that's that's always the ultimate question, though, right? Uh, these like, is a villain becoming a hero, or is is that is he being vilified by the U.S. government? It's such a you know, I've seen it, I've seen it so many times. And when, when you, when you talk about Mexico and, and drug money, and then of course there is, do you, you're talking about the U.S. factor. There's the U.S. government that's prosecuting yeah. him. And yeah. in, in a, you know, <laughs> talk about the elephant in the room, but during Donald Trump's administration, that's already, you know, had so many blunders. And, um, I, I can see that being such a huge factor. It's just, I, I I just find the, the entire thing so curious because you know it's it's such it's such an intertwined world. Uh, football is so important in the country, and I'm not saying the Rafa Marcus case um, that Mar- Marcus is guilty, but it's almost hard to say um, that the drug money wouldn't be involved in the game in one way or another because it's such a huge factor, isn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, I think it's you know you're you're involved to a certain degree. You know, I mean, it's a massive part of the economy. I mean, there's no, you know, there's no, there's no way of denying that. But I just think more than anything with the Rafa Marquez case, it's, you know, it's really sad. Yeah. I find it, I find it a bit depressing because this is a guy who, you know, he set up his foundation. I've actually been, I told his, his, uh, his kind of charity. He's got a few schools, um, in really, really run down communities. Um, and and I've been around them, and and you know these you go around, and obviously you think he's doing really good work, but but more than that, I mean Rafa Marquez represented kind of the good, you know he was the for, for the for the Mexican game he was the good guy, the United United States fans absolutely hate him, mm. but for the Mexico fan he was the good guy, he was the guy who left Atlas at an early age, went to Monaco, jumped over from Monaco to Barcelona, you know you know won Champions League, I mean this was the path to follow. And not only just the path, but someone who came back to Mexico tried to form, well, he's apparently, you know, trying to form a, a players union. You know, somebody who I think moving forward could or could have or could, I don't I don't really know now, but could have had a big um, role to play in kind of modernising the Mexican game and taking it forward in being that kind of bridge between, you know, the players and kind of the, the directors, the owners of the clubs who are making decisions that often don't benefit the, the game itself. So I think I think from that point of view, it's just sad that you know Mexico once again that the news coming out of Mexico is to do with something really negative, and mm. especially when you live here, it kind of I don't know, it just isn't it's isn't great because there's a lot of other stuff going on that's good in Mexico, but the the image outside of the country is 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 one of narcos. I mean that's yeah. that's just the reality, and and the fact that one of the most not just the most known footballers, but one of the most known faces. Um, known Mexican faces out in the world has been, you know, accused of this is, is you know, is, is, is disappointing and sad and everything, really. Yeah, it really is. I mean, uh, we, we, are you anyone's into Mexican football knows that Rafa Marquez, well, definitely came across as a, a very loving person that, you know, looked out for the community and wanted to give back a little bit. So uh, this is a bit uh, shocking and, uh, well, we'll just have to see how it pans out um, over the next uh, coming months or possibly years, right? Um, but, um, yeah, d- d- talking about uh, positive things, um, we'd, we'd seen this week that um, Club America are doing uh, quite an interesting uh, thing. And so, obviously, you're probably all aware of uh, this uh, chant that was happening within the ground and uh, you're in, in Liga MX and the clubs are trying to obviously change their ways uh, and rid it. But um, Club America have announced this week that they're... Um, they're trying to try to change it a little bit, but give an incentive to Manu, aren't they? Yeah, and actually, Tom, you tweeted this out. So Club America, for every game without D-Chant, and I still refuse to actually say the word, um, <laughs> they're going to renovate the school. I, I think that's that's brilliant. I, I, we've seen some great stuff from Tigris. You know, they, they now shout Tigris. Um, a few of the U.S. teams um, have replaced it with you go. Um, I, th- I think there's more creative ways to say, but that's still better than, you know, using the chant. But, um, I like this one. I think it's, it's really, it's a really good initiative because, you know, I've been to Mexico City and I absolutely love the city. It's, it's one of my favorite cities I've ever visited, but I, I can see, you know, Club America and, and their owners, um, very rich owners doing some very good with that. And it could be something that really could catch on. I, I like this. It's, it's, you know, you need a carrot and a stick. You can't just, um, I've worked with, with countless anti-racism and uh, anti-homophobia organizations, um, 
in mostly in Eastern Europe, but also here in the CONCACAF region. And mm. I do think you need a carrot and a stick. It can't be just always punishments. That doesn't work because what it, if you just punish, fans usually unify against the body that punishes them. And we've seen that now with so many examples. So this is, this is a really good idea. I think you need positive encouragement rather than negative encouragement. Yeah, just, just quickly, no, just a bit of imagination as well. I mean, you know, coming up with these things and, you know, I think what America's done built on Tigres' initiative and it just shows if you, if you're actually willing to have a think about it and put something forward, then, you know, it is, these things are possible. I mean, if you go back a couple of months, everybody was saying, ah, oh, it's impossible that this chant is, is going to be eradicated. Whereas, but in Russia, you know, it actually stops for a couple of games. I know there wasn't many Mexican fans there, but, you know, now bringing it back to the League MX, so you have to tackle it at the root cause, and that's that's in League MX. So it's it's great to see clubs being a bit inventive with these with these initiatives. And at the end, this will end up benefiting the clubs because that this is a way to strengthen your relationship with the community mm. and create friendlier environments, right? And as we know, like in fan loyalty research, like those steps between taking your fans from to that attachment uh, stage of actually caring about the team is that family link between father and son, father and daughter with said team. And by creating this bond with the community, it's easier to attract said fans, right? So at the end, you're benefiting your image, you're increasing your your fan base, and you're improving product that at the end you might be looking to export elsewhere, right? The image of the, the league, the team, and the league at the end, right? So it's it's a win-win. Yeah, most certainly. And so, uh, Javi, is this something that you've learned since you've been uh, at the club that you're at the moment? You, you said that you were working with uh, youth players. Well, definitely. So uh, I also have a degree in sports in which I, I did some research in fan loyalty. So just to make it a, a brief explanation, like, so in fan loyalty, you have several theories. The one I study the most was the PCM model. But basically, there's four stages of fan loyalty, right? So you have awareness, attraction, attachment, and allegiance. And there's several factors that move said fan from each stage, right? And the top three uh, factors that will move this fan from awareness to allegiance, that, re- that family bond that includes the first generation to the next one, and in that involvement with the team is one of those three factors, right? And creating that friendlier environment in the stadium with the fans and strengthen your bond with the community, it's uh, it's very important in increasing the fan base and increasing the loyalty of the of the already existing fan base, right? So this is a great a great step for Liga MX and for the teams involved. And you know what? Like if and if you by doing this you make more difficult or more uncomfortable or less fun games for some fans, well, you can afford to lose that kind of fans. So Wow, have you we learn something new every day. Football is like an onion, eh? Many layers, uh, but um, yeah. If if we just uh, move on, I suppose like uh, we we should really talk uh, a little bit about this weekend's uh, games. And um, uh, I I think we we've got to address the team that are now top uh, of the uh, of the up here. Uh, you have thirteen points. So we're seeing a Monterey in pole position. Really, they're they're flying at the moment. Um, I'd, I'd just like to bring a stat um, to uh, you, fellas, um, and that is that well, apparently after t- four match days, uh, Monterey had accumulated ten points, and the last two times they'd done this, they ended up being champions. Well, now they're after five match days, they're sitting on thirteen. I mean. Manu, it definitely looks good for Monterey at the moment, doesn't it? I mean, this week they beat uh, Lyon, but it, it doesn't look like changing anytime soon for them. You know, I'm going to throw that right back at you because you wrote that article on Football Cidade on, on all those That's stats. why I know the stats. <laughs> That's why you know the stats. So I, I'm going to throw that right back at you. I mean, the, the stats look amazing, but uh, what do you think, Bryce? Do you, do you think they're going to go all the way? I, I don't see why not. I, they're scoring as many goals as they have in their last uh, two competitions. Uh, uh, unfortunately, they, they fell, well, one of them, they, they finished in ninth and the other one they fell by the wayside in the Legia uh, to Tigres, which um, 
I suppose no side can really be that disappointed or you know be surprised at a faltering too but uh, this year yeah they're, they're scoring slightly more goals uh, in previous uh, two competitions they've they've scored eight and seven goals uh, but they've also conceded eight and four goals this time they've only conceded two two and five games i mean they've really shored things up at the back end yeah i j- i don't see why they can't go the whole way i, I suppose the thing is we've seen um you know, Tijuana win you know, the, the league uh, format uh, in the last two uh, campaigns, but then uh, they didn't go on to win it. Um, so it, it can be a very different ball game when it gets to the Ligia. Uh, but to, Tom, how do you see a Monterey uh, going this year? I mean, they, they've they've definitely got a lot going forward, but they're they're fairly sturdy at the back as well. I mean, Tigres will always be there, thereabouts. Uh, America are looking fairly strong as well. But do you see this being a Monterey's year? Yeah, I mean, you know, like you said, it's obviously difficult when there's when there's a playoff system. But you know, I think Mon- Monterey, Tigres, and America uh, put in that top top kind of bracket as as the three most likely candidates. Um, and I think. I think with Monterrey this season, you know, you look at the bench. I mean, we can talk. We can talk about the starting eleven, Aviles Hurtado, and what he's brought to the team. But you look at the bench now for Monterrey, and you've got like Ponchito Gonzalez, Cesar Montes on the bench, uh, Jorge Benitez, Edgar Castillo, Efraín Juárez. You know, it's 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 strong. They've got generally strong players waiting for the opportunity on the bench, and I think that's 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 helped Monterrey. You know, in general, competition for places. Uh, and obviously Nico Sanchez as well coming in, just a real experienced Argentine centre back to put next to Basanta. Um, I know Cesar Montes has been had been doing well, but he's he's very much a youngster who's still developing. Whereas Sanchez is is already established, he's already the real deal. So I think that's brought an element of kind of they the look a bit more solid now at the back as well. So yeah, and I think Monterrey more than anything now they're looking like a Antonio Mohamed team. And if you look at the side that. They won the title with America, won the title with with um, Club Tijuana. It's very much, you know, hit the opposition on the transitions, very good on the counter, very fast up front. Um, and I think we're seeing Monterrey that finally is kind of in is in his image. And I honestly, think the 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 key difference has been um, Cardona leaving and Hurtado coming in uh, because Hurtado obviously offers just so much more pace, such a great counter attacking player. Whereas Cardona is very skillful, great vision, but he slows play down. He gets the ball, he likes to take a touch, you know. And I think that's it's been a big difference for Monterrey this season, that that change in personnel. Yeah, very much so. It seems to be working out wonders for them at the moment. And uh, let's just see if it can last. But uh, Tom, uh, you've obviously been a, a fantastic guest. Uh, we're going to more or less wrap it up now. But what I always get the guys to do is uh, highlight their game of the week for anyone that's just tuning into the likes of Liga MX and they're like, oh, which game should I watch? Um, can you pick one out uh, and just give a, a very short reason why you're picking it out? Um, we've actually got midweek games this week, which uh, Manu um, said uh, earlier. Obviously, I, I think I said weekend, my bad. Uh, but um, yeah, Tom, which uh, midweek game would you like to uh, draw people's attention to and why? Yeah, I think. No doubt it's got to be America against Tigres. I mean, there's every, I think for me, there's every chance that this is, this is a final, this is the final, potential final. Uh, for me, two of the best three teams, like I was saying before, in that top bracket this season. Um, and yeah, you've got an America team under, under Miguel Herrera who are going to attack. They're not going to sit back against Tigres. And Tigres, we obviously know a team that like the ball. And I think more than anything, it's in the Estadio Azteca. Two teams absolutely full of quality. And in terms of being an advert for a league, for, for, for the Mexican league, I don't think there are many games this season that will be better than, than watching America against, against Tigres. Well, hasn't he sold it well? Mm-hmm. You'd know he'd know a thing or two, eh? Uh, but uh, Javier, oh, we're going to go to uh, yourself. Um, obviously, try not to pick that game but uh, that Tom's picked. But what game would you like to highlight outside that and uh, for what reason? Okay, just because you asked, I won't pick that game. <laughs> so, <laughs> Otherwise, I'm pretty sure we'd all pick that game. To be fair, but uh, let, let's give uh, let's give uh, the listeners some options. Yeah, definitely. I just would like to add to that game the fact that we'll see how how 
Tigres can survive with the current midfield against an elite competition like America, which is something that I've been wanting to see all whole season yet. So that would be interesting. But okay, not talking about that game. Um, I might just look at Cholos and Querétaro and see a how like in detail how to fit Iturbe in, right? In what aspect or how can the game change? Because at this point, we either might see Iturbe play or not, but they already know they have Iturbe. So they might be starting to set up the team to introduce Iturbe and actually get the best out of him. So I would like to see how this transfer affects Cholos emotionally and tactically. And obviously, uh, subconsciously, I will be really, really positive and hoping that Iturbe might play. But I don't know if he's ready to play yet. So we'll see. But I'll be watching Cholos Querétaro midweek. Nice one. Well, thank you for picking another option. Uh, Manu, that leaves you. What would you? Uh, what game would you like to address that isn't uh, the two prior ones? <laughs> All the sandwiches have been pretty much taken. Um, <laughs> I, well, Monterrey, Toluca. For me, Toluca is one of those most underrated teams Uh in the league, for some odd reason, everyone always talks about the big boys and forgets about Toluca. So I'm really curious to see how they are going to play against the big boys, Monterrey, that you have highlighted so nicely in that Football Cidaja article. So um, a game that I'm looking forward to. And it's a nice game to watch because it's right after the Club America Tigres game, uh, which obviously I'm going to watch as well. Mm. Yeah, no, it's, in- it's interesting what you said about Toluca because I'm, I'm definitely in that kind of... I don't know. I don't get really excited about Toluca, but they seem to get the job done, if you know what I mean. They seem mm-hmm. to, I don't know, they're just very steady, if you know what I mean. But I never, I don't know, I just find it hard to get excited about them. I'm not really sure why, if you know what I mean. I've not got anything against them. I just I never like, oh, Toluca playing, yeah. get excited about that. I don't I don't know. I, mean, I, can't put my, I can't put my finger on why. Well, this this week that could all change, Tom. You never know <laughs> never what know. that performance could be like. <laughs> uh, guys, I, I suppose then I'm left to pick uh, our fourth choice game, is it? Uh, I, I suppose uh, Santos versus uh, Chivas could be an interesting one because um, yeah, one side's you'd imagine has got to come away with a win there. I'm saying that it'll probably be a draw. Uh, but uh, Veracruz haven't lost in, in three and they're coming up against Pachuca who have started to look better in recent weeks um, I, I think that could be an interesting one to see who comes out on top there but uh, I think that more or less does it uh, for today uh, please uh, tune in and just check out some of the games, uh, certainly some interesting ones but um, Tom you've been a fantastic guest, uh, we'd just like to uh, give you the opportunity now to um, maybe plug something that you've got going on at the moment uh, or where can people find you on the likes of uh, Twitter yeah, no. Th- first of all, thanks a lot for the invite. Really good, uh, really good discussion. And I'm on I'm on Twitter at Mexico World Cup um, and on ESPN FC on the on the Mexico Mexico page. Yeah, nice one. Well, yes, uh, certainly I uh, follow uh, Tom, and he'll uh, have plenty of articles, interesting tweets. Uh, and vlogs uh, coming your way. We always look forward to them. Um, Javier, um, what would you like to draw people's attention to? And so where can people find you on the likes of Twitter? So first of all, like you can find me on Twitter at, at @zavxav. And yes, Cruz Azul fans, I know that you're near top of the table. Yes, Cruz Azul fans, I know. That's pretty much it. <laughs> 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 we all know oh, okay. it's not gonna last. <laughs> <laughs> well, we we say that, but you know they're they're still hanging in there, aren't they? So I'd, let, let's just let them enjoy it while it lasts. I think you know the, because the, there'll be enough times to to make them the butt of the joke again. Uh, but Manu, what would you like to uh, plug um, at the moment? Uh, and what? Well, you've got loads going on this week. Uh, where can people find you on Twitter? Yeah, I want to. Plug basically, uh, Chris Williams is of course uh, representing Football Grab this week at Anfield doing the, the, all the Champions League coverage. So, um, if you're interested in that, uh, I know we have plenty of Liverpool fans listening in. So if you're interested in that, head over to foosballstadt.com and check that out. I was talked about that game on Gegenpressing. We all know what that game is. So, um, talk, you can find that on uh, our ACAS Football Grab Network channel. 
Yeah, and then other than that, all the, the previews, they're all out, Europa League, Champions League, and then, of course, um, go watch some Mexican football. It's on midweek this week and on the weekend, so double the fun. Yeah, good times for all. I've been your host, Bryce Dunn. You can find me on Twitter at BryceDunn11. Uh, the only thing I've got to plug is, I've, as Manu mentioned, I've, I've wrote a bit of a, an article for Football Guide or Football Stasia uh, on Liga MX by the numbers. So if, if you like stats, uh, you like Mexican football, just like we do, uh, you can go on there and find a few interesting stats, which I'll try and bring to you um, as regularly as possible, hopefully weekly, uh, I'm hoping so. Uh, but yeah, go enjoy the football and yeah, check out uh, Football Grad Live on Twitter. We're going to have plenty uh, of interesting things coming your way. Thanks very much for tuning in, and goodbye. One gift that never gets returned? Trick question. It's three gifts, beer, wine, and spirits. And with Drizzly, you can send the gift of drinks right to your loved one's doors. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and holiday spirits, then get them delivered right to that lucky someone's door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly is giving customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code JINGLE at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.